We're in the book of Revelation, so I'm going to have you turn there if you would at this time. Book of Revelation. Today, the Church of Jesus Christ is going through great suffering around the world. In fact, as we are singing that song, Holy to the Lord, talked about the Trinity and all that, I couldn't but think that uh, in this past century, I wonder how many people went to church around the world, went in and were doing just exactly what you and I are doing this morning. They were excited to be with God's people, excited to come and sing songs to praise to Him, when suddenly, unbeknownst to them, their service was going to be interrupted, and somebody came in and just mowed them down. And that's happening a lot. Yeah, the church around the world today is suffering. We know from the Scriptures that the closer we get to Satan's hour, and the end time under his control, the greater will be the persecution, the suffering, as well as the martyrdom of believers, of Christians around the world. And may I say, that's going to include the United States. This nation is not going to be exempt as we get closer to that hour. In the latest edition of The Voice of the Martyrs, I read about Pastor John Ali Doro, and you may have read that as well. And his church in Nigeria, who were attacked a little over a year ago by radical Fulani Muslims. Now, the Fulani people are the people that Judy Strand is working with, and I believe it's November 4th she'll be going back there into that dangerous country to try to share the gospel with those people. Well, upon hearing shouts and gunshots near his compound that included his house and the church, and seeing several men in black armed with automatic weapons, Pastor Doro dived into a ditch to conceal himself from the armed attackers who were surrounding the church and shooting any Christians they saw outside the building. Others huddled inside the church screaming for help. Pastor Doro lay in the ditch shocked and terrified by by what he was watching. He didn't know what to do. He realized that if he jumped up and ran to help, they would just execute him. And so he could do nothing but pray and endure the screams of those who had taken shelter inside the church. He was forced to watch in horror from his concealment in that ditch as the attackers began to set the church on fire, shouting, Alihu Akbar, Alihu Akbar, God is great, God is great. Mingled with their chants were the screams and the cries of the believers trapped in the burning church. The attackers were forced to retreat when Nigerian special forces arrived. But it was too late for the 44 people who had died inside, including Pastor Doro's wife, four of his seven children, and two of his grandchildren. But the attackers were not finished. The next day, during a mass funeral for those killed in the attack, the gunmen returned and opened fire on the mourners. In fact, nine other villages also have been attacked, and over the two-day period, almost 200 children, I'm sorry, Christians, almost 200 Christians were killed. Well, folks, that's the reality in the world you and I are living in today. That's what's happening to Christians in many parts of the world today, even though you hardly hear it being reported by the media. Much of the Christian world today is not unlike the Christian world back in the Apostle John's day, back around 96 A.D. Back then, Satan used the Roman emperors Nero and Domitian to seek out and destroy Christians throughout the Roman Empire. And though, like today, the persecution and suffering of Christians was widespread and intense, still God moved in their behalf and provided great encouragement as well as strength so they could endure and come through their fiery trials, even suffering unto death victoriously. And that's for us today as well. What did God do to provide such encouragement strength for His suffering saints? He gave them His final written word that we call Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. These are God's last words to His church, to His precious children, to you and me, before His Son comes back in great power and glory. And one of the deepest truths 
I want you to get this. One of the deepest truths God wants to teach you and me through this book is this. Why, even though suffering, you must burst forth in praise to God. We did that this morning with the songs that we sang here. But you know something? God has so designed that you would do it if they would burst in here and kill many of us off. He still has designed that. We saw last week that though this is a revelation about, about Jesus Christ, unveiling things about our Lord not revealed anywhere else in Scripture but in this letter, and though it is also a reference to Jesus Christ's revelation when He literally comes back here to the earth in power and glory, it is first and foremost primarily God's revelation or His gift to His Son, unveiling to Him step by step how He will highly exalt and glorify His Son because He fully did the will of His Father, humbling Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so that was a primary purpose for God unveiling this to His Son. We saw that in verse 1. But God's exalted Son, or the exaltation of His Son, does not stop there. His precious children, you and I, learn from this final written word from their Heavenly Father that when God exalts and glorifies His Son before the entire world of angelic beings and all mankind, He is also going to exalt and glorify each one of His children. That's you and me who are redeemed. And that is an amazing truth and encouragement that's brought out in this book. I do not know what you and I might have to go through. I do not know, I do know this, that Scripture says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But God has written a special letter to you and me for such a time as we're living in right now. And that's this letter that we're looking at this morning. When the Lord Jesus Christ received the gift of this revelation from His Father, He sent an angel to reveal its contents to His servant John, who then in turn was told, You reveal this to all my children. Therefore, it's to you and me this morning. We praise God for that. We're included. Look at Revelation 1.9. The ninth verse of chapter 1. John writes, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John was evidently somewhere in his 80s at this time when he received this vision on the Isle of Patmos. There he was suffering for his faith, the testimony for loving and living for the Lord Jesus Christ his precious Savior. The believers he sends this letter to were also going through severe trouble and trials and persecution at this time. These words, this letter comes to them from God, their Heavenly Father, and from their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in the midst of their suffering and persecution, what encouragement, what strength this letter from God gave to them as it will to you and me, as it would to Pastor Doro and those that still remain there in Nigeria. This elderly man who deeply loved Jesus was suffering doing slave labor in the mines of Patmos, but when he started writing down these words of his precious Lord and Savior that were communicated through this angel, I mean, he barely got started when he just burst forth in praise to God. He could contain himself no longer. That's the intended effect God designed the revelation of Jesus Christ to have on his suffering, persecuted children anywhere in the world when they read and hear this letter, this book read even today. It's not a book to be ignored then, is it? And boy, he emphasizes that there in verse 3. He emphasizes in the last chapter. This is not a book to be ignored. Consider with me this last letter from God that he sent to you. 
No other book in the Bible reveals the glory of your God. We sang about the glory there, those words that were up on the front there. No other book reveals the glory of God and the splendor of your Lord and Savior like this book does. It is the only book in the Bible, by the way, that opens and closes with God blessing those who read and hear and obey its content. It's the only prophetic book in the New Testament. Now, other New Testament books contain prophecy, but this is called a book of prophecy here. Revelation completes God's written word to you. What began in Genesis ends right here in Revelation. In Genesis, you have the beginning of heaven and earth. In Revelation, you have the consummation of heaven and earth. In Genesis, sin and curse enter right there in chapter 3. In Revelation, God puts away forever sin and the curse. In Genesis, we meet Satan who usurps man's rule and dominion over the earth. In Revelation, God destroys Satan's world system and casts him and the demons in the lake of fire. In Genesis, man loses access to the tree of life, but in Revelation, he regains that access. In Genesis, sorrow, suffering, and death enter. But in Revelation, God banishes all three forevermore. In Genesis, paradise is lost. Ah, but in Revelation, paradise is regained. But you know what? Most wonderful And most glorious of all, in Genesis, a Savior is promised. And in Revelation, He will redeem. We find Him redeeming the lost mankind and reclaiming His usurped kingdom. It says, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see Him. Right out the gates of this book, it says that. No wonder John writes at the end of the letter, Even so, come. Lord Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. I believe that Pastor Doral and those that remained over there, that is a longing of their heart. Oh, Lord. He just lost his wife, his four children out of seven. He lost two grandchildren. And then he lost the loved ones he pastored. Oh, Lord Jesus, even so, come quickly. How that needs to be on the heart of every one of us here this morning as well. I don't, I don't care how wonderful and comfortable you might have it or I have it. That ought to be on our hearts and our minds. Reading the book of Revelation fills a reader with hope. When you read at the very beginning of the letter that these things must shortly take place and that at the time, the time is near and you get to the very end of the letter and you read three times the Lord Jesus Christ's words, Behold, I am coming quickly. You are filled with a sense of expectancy. From the use of that word quickly, toxeos, we talked about it last week, elsewhere used in the New Testament, we get this sense of its meaning that when these things start to occur, they will occur over a short period of time, and indeed that is true. I mean, chapter 6, you've got all those judgments that are going to be poured out, and we find out that within seven years, they start and they're all completed. But the word also speaks of the nearness of the Lord's return. The word stresses that this is the next main event to occur in God's major program concerning His Son. So be ready. Be on the alert. Believe me, we today need that message more than ever before, right? We do. When you think about the suffering of your brothers and sisters around the world, it is severe. It is fiery. It is horrible. Surely God's children who love Him are looking for and longing for and living for their Lord and Savior's coming again in great power and a glory. And this is especially upon the heart of those like Pastor, Pastor Doro who was going through the suffering and is doing so even now for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So may this letter from God to us encourage us and prepare us to live for Him in whatever situation we're going to find ourselves in and let's look together at verses 4 through 6 at this time. Would you follow along as I read that scripture? Revelation 1, 4 through 6. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, 
the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We begin in your outline. God writes to the suffering churches in Asia. That's where we start here in verse 4. God writes this letter. Where did it go? What was its purpose? To the suffering churches in Asia. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Number one, the reason these Christians were suffering. We need to look at that for a moment. The reason these Christians were suffering. Christians were persecuted in the Roman Empire by Emperor Domitian because they were evangelistic, seeking to win souls. You know something, when Christianity first began, Rome tolerated it because they had accepted Judaism. In Rome, you had the pantheon. Pan means many or all. Theos means God. So it was the all-God building. And all the gods that they wanted to worship could be in that building. But the one that would not be there was Christianity. And so therefore Rome persecuted the Christians because of that reason. Secondly, Christians were persecuted because Christianity demanded absolute universal obedience and obeisance to the great kingdom of heaven, Jesus Christ, not to Caesar. Wow. You know what? Christianity is always in clash with the world system, isn't it? Always will be. You can't escape that if you're faithful. Thirdly, Christians were persecuted because they refused to bow down before an idol. You see, Roman society, like the Greek society, was built around guilds and orders. And they had all their idols that they worshipped and honored. You go to Thailand or Nepal, you'll see that, where they have all these gods they're trying to uh, do homage to, that hopefully they'll please and appease them, you know, and so they won't cause trouble for them. Well, it was the same back there. But all these idols were patron saints. When the Christian refused to belong to that order, refused to bow down before the Queen of Heaven, for example, refused to enter into an idol temple, immediately they were labeled atheists and were hated and persecuted. Another reason they were persecuted was because they they were looked upon as those who practiced cannibalism. How about that? That's what the Roman society thought. These Christians are strange, weird people. I mean, they meet at night in subterranean places and dens and catacombs, and they purportedly ate flesh and drank blood. Obviously, they were hearing them talk about what the Bible had to say about the communion service, and therefore they said, they are cannibals. Another reason they're persecuted was for commercial reasons. You might remember that in Acts 19. I mean, Paul stood up against the idols, you know, and there were those people, that was their business. And I mean, that was, it's like going to the abortion clinics and standing there. That's their business. So they're not really going to appreciate you, are they? I'm really thankful that the young people went last yesterday. And others of you probably have gone as well. Well, boy, you're clashing with a commercial issue there. So it is in this society. Christians were persecuted because most of them were recruited from among the poor and the slaves. And as such, were looked down upon by the noble, the rich, and the respectable. And even Emperor Domitian said, I shall annihilate them, because they refused to bow down to him and worship him as God. Well, God gave this book, this letter of revelation, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, to encourage the churches to stand firm and be counted for Christ and the gospel. And dear ones, you have brothers and sisters, that is exactly what they're doing, and they're losing their lives because of it. And that may come to your doorstep very soon as well. It was written to comfort them in an hour of their trial, their suffering, their torture, even martyrdom. And by the way, whatever Satan can imagine, wicked man will do. And it was written for believers today who are finding themselves in that very same place. Well, number two. The reason God chose seven churches. Let's go over that very quickly. Number why he chose seven churches. By the way, this is a book filled with numbers and symbols. 
You know, it's all over the book of Revelation. In verse 4, you read about seven churches. Later, we read about seven spirits, seven candlesticks, seven stars, seven lamps, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven thousand, seven heads, seven crowns, seven plagues, seven vials or bowls, seven mountains and seven kings. That's a lot of sevens. My... And there's other numbers as well. There are also other sevens in the book that are not specifically numbered. For example, there are seven beatitudes or blessings pronounced. There are seven years of judgments. There are seven divisions of each of the letters to the seven churches. There are seven I am's about Christ. And there are seven doxologies in this book in heaven. Well, seven is used throughout scripture to speak a completion of fullness. And I believe that's the way it's being used here in verse 4. There are, were more than seven churches, by the way, located in Western Asia Minor when John received this letter. But God chose these seven as representative of all the churches that existed both then as well as even up to today. They represent churches even today, including the First Baptist Church of Arlington. Number three, the reason God expresses His grace And peace to these Christians. Now you know they're suffering. John was suffering. And God begins there in verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace. And this is not from John. This is from God. Why does he stress grace and peace to these Christians? It was more than a first century Roman or Greek or Hebrew salutation. Grace represents one's standing before God. And peace represents one's experience because of that standing. Grace is the fountain of which peace is the gushing stream. You know what I mean? Before I was a sinner alienated from God, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I got saved. I was born into His family. And what happened? That's my standing. Look at Romans 5, 1 and 2. That's my standing forever. But as a result of the standing, I have peace flooding my soul. I have peace with God. As does every believer. Why? Because He's now not just, He's not an enemy. He is your loving Heavenly Father. And you have been born as His child into His family. By the way, the world they live in has rejected these Christians as it does us today. But God has through His grace made them His very own children. Through the grace provided by Jesus Christ, they are saved. They belong to God. Because of that standing, they have perfect peace with God, who has now become their Father. And absolutely nothing can ever change that relationship. Praise God for that. They are forever His beloved children. Satan and his children may reject, they may torture, they may even murder them taking their lives, but their efforts will only expedite their entry into their Heavenly Father and their Lord Jesus and their Savior's presence. That's all I can do. Become a slave, a servant, to usher them into their fullness of their reward. That brings us next to the most important part of this that we're looking at today. And that is God writes expressing your great value to Him. They're suffering. They're being rejected and hated by a world of people. And God writes expressing your great value to him. Notice this, it's so unique. Number one, all three members of the Trinity speak to you. We sing God in three persons, not holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. God in three persons. And this is so important to God that He breaks it down that each one of the members of the Trinity speak to His children. And what God is about to write to you and send to you through His servant John, He not only reaches out to you, He, listen, He throws His arms, His strong, loving arms, comforting arms around you and draws you into Himself and He just holds you there as an expression of how deeply precious you are to Him. Can you imagine what that means to people who are suffering, being tortured, actually about to lose their physical lives? Number eight, the revelation to you is from God the Father. 
John to the seven churches, verse 4, that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. As you break that down, you see, and later on it's used again and again about four times in Revelation, that's God the Father. It's also used, by the way, of the Lord Jesus Christ in a portion or two there in Revelation. But he speaks to you as he who is and who was and who is to come. Since you understand and think in terms of time, your Heavenly Father presents Himself to you in that way as well. You're dealing with the present, are you not? And so He says, He who is. You think about the past, what has happened, what you have already gone through. Your Heavenly Father assures you that He was there sovereignly in control of every detail. He who was. And what about the future? That uncertain future. Will you be able to glide through life and lay down your life sleeping in your bed at 95 and go home to be with the Lord? I don't know. But whether that's the case or not, what's going to happen? Your Heavenly Father will be there with you in all His sovereignty and will accomplish every aspect of His written plans that He is about to share with you in this letter. He who is to come. You see, folks, this title is to impress upon you and me the eternity of God the Father. When we open our Bibles to the very first book, the book of Genesis, how does God address us? In the beginning, God. No explanation, just declaring His eternality. The eternally pre-existing God who will always exist and absolutely no one and no thing will thwart His purposes. And you are His precious child. You are wrapped up in His plans, His purpose, His promises. And He unfolds this letter to you to affirm, I am eternal God. I've always been there. I always will be there. And you are precious to me. It will all come to pass exactly as I have written it to you. We come then to the revelation to you from God the Holy Spirit. Now it says there, And from the seven spirits who are before His throne. That's a little strange way of addressing the Holy Spirit. Some have thought those were mighty angels, but here's the situation. Grace and peace come from the Trinity. Grace and peace come from God, from the Holy Spirit, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace do not come from angels. I believe it is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 4, verse 5. This is at the throne of God. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I think that is a reference, again, In figurative language to the Holy Spirit, seven being the number of completion, perfection. Look at chapter 5 and verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb, that's the Lord, standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Again, I think that's a reference to God the Holy Spirit. So, by the way, three things are said about him here in uh, chapter 1, verse 4. First, he's described using the number 7, as you notice. Second, he's described as being spirit. And third, he is described as being before the throne. Just as three things were said about God the Father, so three things are said about the Holy Spirit. What might all this symbolism mean? Commentators think that the number 7 speaks of the Holy Spirit's perfection and of his plenitude of his power. He is perfect and complete in Himself because He is God. And why this statement, though, that He is before the throne of God? Well, He is the executor of the purposes of God. He indwelt Jesus when He was here in His humanity. He was sent to indwell believers, you and me even today, after Jesus ascended back up into heaven. He authored and wrote the Word we call the Scriptures, and like light, He illuminates those who belong to God who read these Scriptures. And by the way, during this next major movement of God, the tribulation period, the Holy Spirit who is before the throne will be very much involved in fulfilling the words of this prophecy. So He is mentioned to encourage 
believers, especially those who are suffering for the cause of Christ. Even as these believers, are Christians, are going through this great time of trial and suffering, God, the Holy Spirit, is right there with them, sustaining them, empowering them, and encouraging them, even using this letter to do that. Number C, the revelation to you from God the Son. The revelation to you from God the Son. Look at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Let me say this. We could not exhaust that this morning. So I'm just going to touch on it. Our Lord's three titles that speak to our hearts here. Three things were said about God the Father. Three things about the Holy Spirit. And now three things about God the Son. Again, as we see here, He is introduced as Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. We wouldn't know truth if He had not come to reveal the truth. You know, He said before Pilate, For this cause I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Listen to me. If you're suffering and being tortured and going to ultimately be put to death for believing something, you certainly want to know that who you are believing in and what you are believing and standing for is the truth. Now, a lot of people lay down their lives for something that's not the truth, but that's not the case with God's children. And He came as a faithful witness to bear witness that He is the truth. Did He not say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Me? Boy, I tell you what, that is so important to me. If I, if I, listen, if they're going to take my wife as they did his, of course, there was no changing any of that, and they're going to execute Mary, or my children, my sons, daughters-in-law, or my grandchildren, and all I had to do is say, I recant, and they say, okay, we'll let them live. If he's not the truth, if he did not declare the truth, God forbid that I should let them die, amen? But because He is the truth, now I have to settle that issue. You have to settle that issue. I will stand for the truth even if I'm tortured. They're tortured, my loved ones, or we have to lay down our lives in death and martyrdom. Amen? That's where we stand, dear ones. That's where they stood when they got this letter. He's introduced as Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead. If that first title, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, speaks of his work as a prophet, this title, Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead, speaks of his title as the priest. His atonement on the cross and his resurrection out of the dead are being emphasized here. Other people had been raised from the dead, but Jesus Christ is the first one to be raised and receive a glorified body. We are told that He is also the first fruit of those who belong to Him who have died, meaning that they too will be resurrected. And His resurrection is God's guarantee of that. Look at verse 18 of chapter 1. And remember, this is written to suffering believers. He says, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, and the living one, the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. My, how that would encourage somebody that's about to lose their life, or precious ones that belong to the Lord that lost their lives because they loved Him. He is the firstborn from the dead. You know, Satan and wicked men may be allowed to end your physical life, and God may allow that. But God will make your death be your servant that will immediately usher you into His presence. And then He says to you, look at my Son. Look at my Son, who is the firstborn of the dead. He is your guarantee that I will raise your body from the dead. And I will give you a glorified body as well. This title, the firstborn from the dead, also speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ's preeminence. Listen to Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18. There we read, He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. He was not a created being like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. 
No, He created all things. Therefore, He had to pre-exist. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body of the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. You see, that's the title of preeminence. God says, I highly exalt Him to first place because He's my Son who faithfully carried out my will. But thirdly, His three titles is feet to our hearts, not only the firstborn from the dead, and if I'm going to lay down my life, I'm thankful that He's won the victory over death. I'm thankful that He, it's truth that I'm hung on, hung, I hung on to there and uh, as a faithful witness. And now finally, Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Isn't that great? The ruler of the kings of the earth. Of this course, this of course speaks of his title as king. And this book of Revelation has a lot to say about the kings of the earth who will take their stand against him. God declares in this book to his children that Jesus Christ will be exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords. He will reign upon the earth that presently is in rebellion against him and against his children. And his children will also reign with him. What an encouragement to these people that are suffering and some about to die. So listen, mark how God throws his arms around you and me and expresses how precious you and I are to him. Each member of the Trinity expresses that heart to you and to me. Well, number two, our Lord's three acts of grace toward us that speak to our hearts. Not just the titles, but the three acts of grace. What amazing things. To Him who loves us. He loved you before He even created the world. You. Put yourself in that situation. He loved you before He even created the world, the Bible says. How did He express that love? You know that. He came while you were still in rebellion. You were an enemy of God. And He came. And He went to the cross. And there He took upon Himself all of your sin. Your wickedness. Your rebellion. And then he took upon himself all the fiery judgment of God that you deserve that should have sent you and me into hell, into the lake of fire. He took all of that as well and bore it all. Somebody said it was love that kept him on that cross. It's love that sent him to the cross. When that he caused him to go to the cross. Kept him on that cross. We can't even enter into the things that he suffered and we'll do that at the communion table just as a memorial to him. That's how much he loved you. He said, I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. Look what I went through. In fact, Howard was talking about that in First Peter 2 this morning. Look what I endured, what I went through out of love for you. And nothing will ever separate you from that love. And then he moves to the next step there. He, to him who released us from our sins by his blood. I'll tell you, I am a sinner, but I am a sinner saved by grace. I'll tell you, it means so much to me to know that though I fail every day, and though I can't stop the dying process which shows that sin is still in me, why don't you think about that one? You're dying, it keeps right on, you're getting older and things are wearing out. Why? Because sin is still in you. And you're in a sinful world. But nonetheless, what joy and peace fills my heart, because I know, and God tells me this, that He has released me, He has washed me from my sins. All of them. Folks, it's an amazing thing to know that you're not going to go to heaven. I mean, if you're saved, you're not going to go to heaven and give someone accounting for sin. He said, well, I got this that you did against me. You did this wicked thing. Never. Now, I may lose reward, and God wants to fully reward you and me, but He'll not bring up one of your sins. You will stand before Him faultless and blameless, it says in Jude. What a... I mean... Here they are in a wicked, fallen, evil world, suffering because they belong to Jesus Christ or standing up for Him. And He says, listen, I have washed you. I've released you from the sins by my blood. You belong to me. We have a relationship that can't be broken. 
in time and eternity. And then he goes on, he says, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. Again, we could not exhaust that. He said, listen, I have highly exalted you to a very, very special place. Already you are a priest. And he's, by the way, to be a, a priest king upon his throne. And by the way, that last one there that we talked about, that he's ruler of the kings of earth, that speaks of his, his uh, rulership. So you have him as a prophet, as a priest, and now as a king. And he says, I'm sharing that with you. I'm sharing that with you. You who are suffering, you who are going to go through torture, you who are laying down your life, I'm sharing that with you. It's your position as well. And I think about these believers that they can come boldly to that throne of grace, as the writer of Hebrews says, and find mercy and grace to help in their time of need. And finally, we come here to the last part. And I realize there's so much more that I just touched on there. That God, in His letter to you, sent, especially to suffering believers. And we come now to the last part, which you just have to catch here. John erupts into praise to God. This old man, digging around in the mines on the Isle of Patmos, burdened for his brothers and sisters who are also suffering under Domitian, knowing many of his loved ones have probably gone on to be with the Lord because they have been executed, martyred. And here's this revelation that he receives from God through this angel, and he just (laughs) didn't even get out the gates before he just burst forth in praise. You're looking at one of the most inhibited persons, one of the most inhibited pastors around. Nobody knew that, did you? Have you ever seen me raise my hands here? I am so inhibited, they got weights on them. <laughs> Even as we were singing for you in the worship, you know, doing the, I thought about raising my hand, but I thought people think I'm weird. <laughs> I thought maybe if the leader did that, you know, the shepherd do that, maybe, maybe rest, others would get the, you know, and they'd say, well, I'm being set free as well. But I, Ask Mary. I am a very inhibited person. I've always been. Now, why I'm the pastor beyond me, God just said, I'll choose to use an inhibited person. But I am a very, very inhibited person. Here's John. Out there, that old man on that aisle digging around the mines of Patmos. And, and God, the, the, just these few words are given to him and he just explodes in praise. He couldn't contain himself. I'm looking forward to the day when I'm home with the Lord and I won't be able to contain myself either. Now, don't be shook up if sometime I get bold enough to raise my... I might even wave him. I might go over and stand by Heinz and we'll wave him together. That'll really... <laughs> Sorry, Heinz. Some of us are just inhibited that way. <laughs> but don't miss the point of this. Why, even though suffering, you must burst forth in praise to God? Don't miss that. Does that mean God minimizes the horrible things that Pastor Doral went through? The pain that's filling his whole life? No. But praise is beyond even that. It can coincide with that if you please. And even heal to some extent that. Number one, he became overwhelmed by the revelation of the Trinity. I mean, to you, they may just be words, but this old man had walked so close with God. And suddenly the Father, He who is and who was and is to come, and John processes all of that as this revelation, this is written by God and sent by the angel to him. And that old man's processing all of this. And then he says the seven spirits who are before the throne of God, and he thinks about what that means as well. And perhaps he has given insight that we don't have. I don't know. And then here's the revelation of the Lord Jesus. Each member of the Trinity said, John, you are so dear and deeply precious to each one of us. Though you're suffering here. Though you have seen the other apostles martyred. Even your own brother, he hardly got, got started when Herod took his head off and he lost his life. You went through that. You're so precious. So he became overwhelmed by the revelation of the Trinity. Do you and I become overwhelmed by 
the revelation of God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. I'll tell you what, sometimes certain situations make letters more meaningful, don't they? Believe me, this was very, very meaningful to Pastor Doral and those left in that church, those churches over there. Secondly, he became overwhelmed by the revelation of God's grace. This is grace. This is, I mean, he was just overwhelmed that God, all three members of the Trinity, moved in there his behalf and behalf of all his brothers and sisters in the Lord. I mean, this was grace. And he's overwhelmed with the standing. I mean, don't get so accustomed to the fact that God has completely forgiven you, that He's become your heavenly Father, that He loves you with an everlasting love, that God says, I'm even going to lavish my grace upon you and display you throughout all eternity. Don't ever get overwhelmed with that. Somehow, just keep growing in your relationship, the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Peter wrote in Second Peter 3. He became overwhelmed by the revelation of God's grace. You saw it there. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father. That's not yet fulfilled, but that's a relationship we have. He was overwhelmed by that grace. A world of people that think they've got it now and are pursuing it with everything and the power they have to get a hold of it now, and they're going to lose it all. I often think of Psalm 73 when finally came to the temple and he said, I realize that God set their feet on slippery places. And then God said, now I'm going to give it to you, but I'm going to remove all the sin and the curse. And you're going to enjoy it throughout eternal age of ages. Number three, he became overwhelmed by the revelation of Jesus' glory. Did you see that in there? These words display the glory of Jesus Christ. Remember what I said? The purpose that God gave this word, He gave it as a gift to His Son, saying, Son, this is how I'm, these are the steps I'm going to use to ex- just magnify your glory, to exalt you before all of my creation. And He became overwhelmed by that as Jesus revealed Himself to Him and threw His arms around Him. Why? Even though suffering, you must first burst forth you must burst forth in praise to God. I believe that Pastor Doral, this book is very, very meaningful to him, this letter from God. And I believe in that deep pain. That was a little bit over a year ago that he lost his wife and his four children, his grandchildren, plus those in his flock. And yet... I believe his heart is bursting forth in praise to God. That's probably why we have the story written by the voice of the martyrs. God does not in any way minimize or merely pass over what these suffering believers are going through. And here I'm afraid in the United States, Christians have a great interest in Bible prophecy, don't we? I do. I'm, you are too. I, I, just a natural thing, maybe. Maybe it's a spiritual thing to have an interest in Bible prophecy. But listen, we approach the book of Revelation... Uh, for that reason, but I'm afraid all too often we overlook one of the major purposes of this prophetic book, this letter, and that is to comfort and strengthen Christians who are going through suffering and torture and martyrdom for their love and testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see this is one of the major reasons why God sent this letter to you and me. And it'll probably mean a whole lot more to you and me tomorrow. I close with a song. I'm not going to sing it. You're not going to sing it. In fact, it's not even in our hymnal. But many of you my age will remember this song. The rest of you can listen to it, okay? Ask a question that often is on your heart and my heart. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does He care enough to be near? 
Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief I find no relief? I would imagine Pastor Doe found no relief. Though my tears flow all night long. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him? Does he see? Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. He cares for me. That's what that letter is all about. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this book of Revelation. My heart aches, as do I believe most of the hearts here, for Pastor Doro and those others that lost loved ones that are still processing that. What, 14 months have gone by? That pain, that heartache is still there. And Lord, would you sanctify that and use it for your glory? And would this letter that you wrote to comfort saints, children, brothers and sisters who are suffering, especially suffering because they love you, would you make it very meaningful to us and to them as well? And then, Father, sometimes it's not just a matter that we suffer because we stand up for our faith. Sometimes we suffer just because that's what we go through in life. Sickness. Some love when failing. And finally, gone home to be with you. We thank you that you do care. We thank you that this letter shows you deeply care. And as we take these elements, they also remind us of how much you cared and do care even now. And we would cry out with John, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Even so, come quickly. Amen.